0: Grab your Bible, open it to Joshua chapter 9. We're going to continue our series. We're almost done actually. We're going to chapter 10. So we are almost through with our series. Next week will be our last day and then we'll have church in the park and then start some new things. But I'm I'm excited. We've been talking about how the Lord gives victory. Uh, We have our bracelets that remind us how to live in victory and that Jesus came, he died on the cross so that you and I might have victory in every single area of our life. And today I want to talk about victory over deception. Victory over deception. We're going to look at a story in chapter 9 where the Israelites are going to get caught up in a deception. And it seems simple enough, but they make two crucial mistakes in the middle of this deception. And I want us to look at these two mistakes and learn how we can avoid being deceived in our lives because deceptions are still fairly common in our world today, don't you think? And we don't want to be people that are stuck in deception. We want to have victory over deception. So look at Joshua chapter 9 with me. I'm going to read it from uh, the NIV this morning. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 18 just to give us a good context of this story. Now, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, the kings in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho, And I, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. The Israelites said to the Hibbites, But perhaps you live near us, so how can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, Who are you, and where do you come from? They answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, Sihan, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who reign in Ashtaroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, Take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled were new, but see how cracked they are? And our clothes and sandals were worn out by the very long journey. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard They were their neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out and on the third day came to their cities, Gibeon, Kephara, Beroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Well, as you can tell, the Israelites got stuck in a great deception. And as a result of their The Gibeonites' trickery. They got caught up in in a moment here. And I'd like us to look at two things that the Israelites did that caused them to be deceived. It's in verse 14. In verse 14, we actually see the two things that caused them to be deceived. The The first is they sampled their provisions. It says, the Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. The first thing is they sampled the provisions. And I was thinking about this for a moment. And I was asking myself this question, who is really good at getting us to sample the provisions? Costco. She got it right. <laughs> Costco is excellent at this. Every aisle has a sample for some things. Here's what they know. And I don't know, have you noticed Walmart's doing it now too? Yeah, Walmart's doing it now too. We' were at Walmart the other day. They had a couple people in the meat section, and they were sampling raw meat, and not just kidding, not really. <laughs> but they were sampling different things. Here's what I've learned: the devil and Costco know that if we try something, even a little bit of it, we might change our mind. We might, we might. Take the whole thing. See, if we try it, we might buy it. The enemy knows that. And we can look at something like the Israelites did. At the beginning of the story, you can notice that the Israelites are asking all the right questions. It doesn't look like they're going to be deceived at first. But then as they sample the provisions, they begin to see something that they couldn't see they got involved in something and they tried a little bit and as a result they fell for the whole thing. Often young people will come to me and say, Pastor Mark, how do I stay sexually pure because I I just want to stay pure before the Lord before my wedding day? And I'll tell them to avoid situations where it's easy to sample the provisions, you know what I mean? Don't hang out alone in an apartment or in a house or your car at night with your girlfriend. If you do, you'll sample the provisions and you'll go all the way. That's what happens. And the enemy is quick to do that with us, isn't he? The second thing they did is they did not inquire of the Lord. They didn't even ask the Lord if what they were about to do was a good idea. And the Lord would have told them if they had asked that this was a lie. It was a ruse. It was a deception. The Lord would have been faithful to rescue them and point out to them their failure. But they didn't even ask the Lord. How many of you think that there's a few deceptions happening in our world today? Couple? Do you ask the Lord about those deceptions in our world? Do you ask the Lord things like, Lord, should I watch that movie? Or that TV show? Should I binge watch that for the next day and a half on Netflix? (laughs) Lord, what do you think about that band or singer? Should I go to that concert with my coworkers? Lord, do you want me to spend my money on that? Jesus, should I let my kids watch that show? Here's a loaded one. Holy Spirit, who should I vote for? (laughs) Should I have that app on my phone? Jesus, should I root for the Seahawks? There's lots of deceptions out there in the world around you that you will have to look out for. Now, interestingly, I like to joke about the Seahawks and it's our little fun thing together. But let me talk about it in a little bit of a serious note for a moment. In the movie Concussion... If you saw that movie about this African doctor who began to find the problems with men's brains after they had played in the NFL and had multiple concussions, this African doctor was going to take on the NFL. But he didn't really understand much about the NFL. He didn't even watch football himself. And so his friend, in an effort to help him understand how powerful the NFL is, was, and is, said to his friend, friend, God used to own Sundays. Now, the NFL does. Now, it's a simple thing, and we can joke about our teams, and we can joke about our stuff, but here's the reality. When we let a football game take us away from Jesus and we just got deceived. Especially if your team is as bad as mine. (laughs) Should never let that happen. Now remember, what the Israelites are doing is very similar to what you and I are doing today. The Israelites are trying to live in the promises that God has given them. But they have enemies all around them. And they have people trying to deceive them. But the same is true for you and me. The enemy of our soul is working on us. And he's using anything he can to deceive us into not living out the promises of God in our life. And he's also deceiving the entire world from believing in Jesus Christ as their Savior. In fact, listen to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. This is the Bible's job description of the devil. It says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Notice that, The devil is compared to a lion. That like a lion, he's prowling around. He's looking for someone to devour. He's looking for someone to destroy. And if you know much about lions, it's interesting. When a lion is prowling around looking for something to eat, it always looks for easy prey. Something easy that it can catch. Someone young someone hurt, someone not paying attention, someone flirting very close to dangerous areas, that's where the lion can easily grab us and eat us. I hope that that someone isn't you, but if if it is you, the Bible gives us a way that we can respond to the devil and his deception. The first thing that... Peter said, was be alert. If you want to avoid the deception of the enemy, then be alert. This means you're watching for danger all around you. You're, You're noticing that there are things in our culture that cause you to sin or hurt your relationship with Jesus. And every time something new comes into our culture, you look at it through the lens of your holiness with Christ. It means you can recognize evil and run from it. Be alert. Also, have a sober mind. A sober mind is a mind that is focused on Jesus. Focused on Jesus, focused on his kingdom. It's a mind that is not distracted. But there's so many distractions in our world. And as a result, our minds are often vacillating between the world and our faith, between our selfishness and God's word, between what's right and what's wrong. And that's all happening in our mind. And Peter says, you need to have a clear and sober mind because when you have a clear and sober mind, you will become confident about what is right and what is wrong, and you will choose to do what's right. And then lastly, Peter says something interesting. He says, resist him, standing firm in your faith. Now, you may be wondering, isn't the devil a pretty powerful being? Yeah, he is, but you can resist him. Well, how can I resist something so powerful? Well, you have to stand firm in your faith. Uh, Let me just explain to you why you and I, as children of the king, get to resist the enemy and stand firm. First, remember that when you are in a spiritual battle with the devil, you're actually battling a defeated foe. He's already defeated and he knows it. He already knows that on the cross, Satan crushed him and he knows he's defeated. And what he wants to do is take you down with him, but he knows he's lost. And that's why he's trying to Right now, in the world that we live in, he's trying so hard to deceive so many people and to deceive you and me because he wants to take us down too. Another interesting thing is that you have authority in Jesus' name to stand up against the devil. Because of the power of Jesus' name living inside of you, you have authority against your enemy because Jesus' name is stronger than his temptations or attacks. And third... Your battle is a spiritual one, not a physical one. Now, it would be really nice if you and I could just carry a handgun around everywhere and shoot temptation away, wouldn't it? That'd be nice, but bullets don't stop temptation. And bombs don't help with spiritual attack. But there is something that you and I can do, and that is pray. One of the things that helps us very much is learning how to pray powerfully to resist the devil because prayer is a spiritual action. Prayer is a spiritual weapon that you use in the spiritual realm to defeat the enemy. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 5. It says, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. In other words, you you can't fight a spiritual battle with physical things. You You have to fight a spiritual battle with spiritual things. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I love that last part, that we can demolish arguments and pretension, and we can actually take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Now, how do you do that? Well, one of the ways that you and I can do that is to turn God's word into prayer. Let me show you with this verse. This verse in particular is a great verse to turn into a powerful spiritual prayer. For instance, you can say with this verse, in the name of Jesus, I take the thought of blank captive. Just fill in that blank with whatever's attacking you. In the name of Jesus, I take the thought of blank captive and I command you to leave my mind. Now it has to leave. And in that moment, it is gone because... Jesus' name is more powerful than your attacker. And in that moment, you are taking captive what is attacking you, and you're commanding it to leave you. That's how you and I can stand up against the devil, by being alert, having a sober mind, and resisting him with a powerful spiritual prayer. Now, the problem the Israelites had was that they sampled the provisions. And I think you and I have something in our day today that we can compare to this, and that is media and technology. The challenge that you and I have living in our day is that media and technology are always tempting us to sample the world. And we have devices in our hand all day long that allows us to sample the world. Most of us work with a computer that allows us to sample the world all day long. Because of the environment and the technology and the way that we do life today in 2019 and beyond, it makes it very, very easy for the enemy to use media as a great means of deception. And so you and I have to be careful what we're looking at and what we're watching and what we're allowing into our life. Because media has become the greatest means of deception the world has ever seen. But interestingly, media can also be one of the greatest blessings that the world has ever seen when we use it to present the gospel to the ends of the earth. We notice that Satan is deceiving lots of people and he can use media all at the same time to present ungodly things to a mass group of people. It's interesting to me that in the day in which we live, there will be certain things that you and I can watch or that are just like way outlandishly evil. And you're like, okay, I know I should, I should stay away from that one. But those are the ones that are interesting, like... We know we don't have to concern ourselves with that. But what is more challenging is how the enemy drops little short nuggets of ungodly things into the middle of good things. And as you and I are exposed to media over and over and over again, we get exposed to these little moments where the enemy is trying to deceive us about God and deceive the world about God. Let me show you one. I want to show you a clip from the movie Superman vs. Batman. It's less than a minute, but I want you to notice how in this movie, with this clip, in less than one minute, God is discredited, disrespected, and meant, and the The moment is meant to deceive people away from who God is. And it's only a very, very small part of the movie. Let's watch. Boy, do we have problems up here. Mm. Uh, The the problem of of evil in the world. Uh, The problem of absolute virtue. I'll take you in without breaking you which is more than you deserve. The problem of you on top of everything else. You above all. Ah, because that's what God is. Horace, Apollo, Jehovah, Cal el Clark, Joseph, Kent. See, what we call God depends upon our tribe, Clark, Joe. Because God is tribal. God takes sides. No man in the sky intervened when I was a boy to deliver me from daddy's fists and abominations. Mm. I figured out way back. If God is all-powerful, he cannot be all-good. And if he is all-good, then he cannot be all-powerful. Now I'll ask you a question. What does that have to do with the movie? Absolutely Nothing. There's absolutely no reason for this 51-second scene to be in this movie, except that Satan controls Hollywood, and so he can pop little nuggets into movies and TV shows and music all along the way to discredit and deceive the world about God. Is it possible for God to be all-powerful and all-good at the same time? Absolutely, because he's God. Now, what does that have to do with evil? Nothing, because God didn't choose evil. We did. God God showed us what he wanted for us. He set us in a perfect garden and set us up perfectly and gave us everything we would need. We chose evil. And by the way, do we have the choice today to stop being evil? Yes, and we still don't. How is that God's fault? It's not God's fault. It's our fault. Yet here's a little nugget that is meant, a subplot that is meant to deceive and lie to the world about God. 99% of the movie is fine except for one little deception. And here's the challenge. As you and I watch thing after thing after thing after thing, these little nuggets are placed into movie after movie, show after show, and before we know it, we've been deceived to believe something that God doesn't want us to. And it's only a little bit of the show. But over and over again, it changes our mind about what God's word says is right. Let me give you another example, but I'll need some helpers. I need some helpers that would like to eat a brownie. Okay, come on up. I need about seven or eight of you. Got a plate of brownies up here. Come on up. Yeah, right here. Just come right here. I need some more. That's only three. I'll give you, I'll give you it in a minute. I need some more. Some adults, preferably. Come on. They're brownies, people, with frosting on them. This is not rocket science. Get out of your seat and come up here. <laughs> okay, so I want to tell you something about these brownies before you eat them, uh, because the recipe for these brownies was very interesting. Uh, only called for a very small ingredient that I thought was interesting, and it was only a half a teaspoon but it called for a half a teaspoon of dog poop. So I went in the backyard, got a little of boomers, dog poop, put it in the mix. But you don't have to worry about it because there's cups of sugar in here. There's an entire box of brownie mix. It's only a very small portion of the brownie. Would you still like one? (laughs) I I knew you would want one. I knew you would still eat it. Anybody else? Probably not right? This is what the enemy does, doesn't he? He just mixes a half a teaspoon into something, but we hear it over and over and over again. And before we know it, we've been deceived. Now, the good news is I didn't really mix dog poop into these brownies. I'll prove it myself, and you can take one. Go ahead. <laughs> you can eat it right now. I took the piece. It was good. Yes, that's right. Let me share two verses with you, quick. First John two sixteen says, "For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world." Second Corinthians four eighteen says. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See, as believers, we get to see things that are unseen because we live and understand the spiritual realm. And in that place, we become free from deception. Now, I believe there's another challenge for us as believers living in this modern age. The challenge that we have today is we don't want to look like the complaining, arguing, grumpy, judgmental Christian who was always pointing his finger at everything wrong. For too long, I think the church has been the group of people that everybody sees, sees saying no instead of the group of people that everybody hears saying Yes. And so there's this delicate balance between you and I being judgmental about the world and the evil in it, which, by the way, Jesus never did. Did you notice that? He's living in a very evil time himself. He wasn't walking around pointing his finger at everybody, telling them all the bad things they were doing, pointing out every evil thing in the culture, and there was lots of it happening. But that's not what he was doing. That's not what we're called to do. In fact, Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without complaining and arguing. That's how we're called to live. We're called to be people that are not complainers and not arguers and not judgmental. But we also can't say we are a Christian and live in the world and get caught up in the world and get deceived by the world and get stuck in patterns of sin that our world is propagating. Because Hebrews 12, 14 says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So you and I have this delicate balance of not being judgmental, but living in holiness so that our life will tell the world about Jesus. Now I want to conclude quickly with three questions I think are important for us about deception. The first one is, how can we avoid being deceived? Well, we've looked at it a little bit and concentrated on it a lot, but it's quite simple. It boils down to this. Listen to the Holy Spirit and obey Him. If you don't want to be deceived, you've got to listen to the Holy Spirit. And that means you have to inquire of Him. You have to ask Him, Holy Spirit, What do you want me to do in this situation? Should I have that on my phone? Do you want me to watch that? You got to talk to him. You got to inquire of him. And then you got to listen. And then you've got to obey. Second, how do we break free of a deception? Well, Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 says, Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart, for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in His eyes. Now this verse gives us several ways to break free of a deception. The first one is to surrender to God, to simply give up. To give up my purposes and my plans to God, knowing that his purposes and plans are so good for me, and I just surrender to the Lord. Another thing it said was to live in holiness, that holiness should be our goal in life, because holiness delights God's heart. It makes him happy. And holiness is our expression of worship to God. Did you know that you can come in here on Sunday morning and we can sing and we can raise our hands and we can kneel before the Lord and that's a great expression of worship. But did you know on Wednesday afternoon when you say no when you are being tempted, that's the same expression of worship? That's the same expression of worship. When you say no to the world or when you say yes while we're singing, it's the same worship. Make it your expression of worship to obey God and his word and say no to the world and as this verse says stop imitating the world stop imitating it see the world has an agenda the world has a scheme that is that the enemy is using he's behind all of it that's what Ephesians 6 tells us that the devil is behind every scheme we see that's deceiving the world We have to stop imitating the world because then we just get caught up in his schemes. And then this verse also says, let the Holy Spirit transform how you think. That's so important because how we think is how we act. How we think turns into an action. And so we have to transform the way that we think. Several years ago, a couple came into my office and talked to me about a deception that they felt like they were caught up in, and they were having a hard time breaking free of it. They were living together, they weren't married, and they were sampling the provisions, and they knew it wasn't right. So they asked me, what should we do? Because We've intertwined everything at this point. Our finances are intertwined. You know, our our living position is intertwined. Everything's intertwined. And I told them, well, if you want to honor God, you've got two choices. You can move out, stop sampling the provisions, plan a wedding, and get married in the summer. Or you can get married ASAP as soon as you can, and choose not to have sex until you're married. Later that evening, I got a phone call, and they said, Pastor Mark, could you do our wedding in four days? (laughs) And I said, absolutely, I can. And so I got the privilege to do their wedding in their backyard. Here's what I loved about what they chose to do. They chose to surrender to God. They knew they weren't living right. They knew that there was unholiness there. They knew that there was a deception that they were caught up in and that they were imitating the world and they said, no more. It stops now. I'm going to surrender to God. And they broke free of a deception. And here's what's interesting. Deception is always around us but in their case when they broke free of this powerful deception it's also made it very easy for them to break free of other little things in their life since that day because they now know how to listen to the Holy Spirit and obey him the last question is this how do we help others break free of their deception Because the reality is when you and I leave this room, we all know lots of people. We all have friends and acquaintances and family members that are caught in the deception. And we get to try to help them break free. How do we do that? Well, 2 Timothy 2, 25 to 26 says this. Opponents, those who are not Christians yet, who disagree with the gospel, opponents Must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. See, our response to those who are being deceived is to be gentle. Because gentleness gives us opportunities to share the truth. Gentleness helps people come to their senses because we have kept a relationship with them and not judged them. See, judgment will always drive people away. Gentleness will always allow them to continue in your life. Gentleness will always give you opportunity. Gentleness helps the gospel move forward. And gentleness makes us approachable, and people want to talk to us about Jesus when we are gentle and kind and loving. So we are called to be people that are gentle in a world that many times is not. And that's where we get to sacrifice for Jesus. Would you stand with me? It's my heart for each of us this morning that we would learn how to live in victory over deception, that we would not be deceived by the world around us, that we would not imitate the world, and that we would transform our thinking. We would not sample the provisions, and we would inquire of the Lord always about the things in our world, and that we would choose to live in holiness, because when we live in holiness, we get to experience victory over deception. But here's where the rubber meets the road. This is not an emotional thing. It's a practical thing. It's a very, very practical thing. So what we're talking about is when we leave this room today, there needs to be a decision made about how I'm going to live practically every day. And I'm going to choose Jesus, not this world. But I also know that in the middle of that moment of understanding what it means to have a life of (laughs) self-control instead of a life that is out of control, there might be something in each of us that just has residence there. And we need to kick it out today. It needs to go.